Good morning. We are discussing spiritual gifts. We're actually wrapping it up. Shouldn't be too much longer. I'll have the spiritual gifts test available next week for you to take, and then we'll kind of discuss the individual uh, gifts that you believe God has given you based off of the conversations we've had and that test. Now, that test is man-made that I'm going to give you next week. I would say that you will get a, a closer view to your spiritual gifts from listening to the lessons and evaluating your own life and uh, how God has used you and what comes easy to you. That's probably going to be a better, you might say, barometer of your spiritual gifts than the test itself. The test do not take as Scripture. It's not. Next week's test should not be, the, the test says this, therefore I am this. But it will definitely point you in a direction that maybe you should consider, has God gifted me in these areas? So let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 28. I'm hoping to wrap everything up today on the spiritual gifts lessons. Next week we'll wrap up the test and then we'll move on to some new material. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 28. And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. After that, miracles, gifts, healings, helps, and then governments, diversities of tongues. All right, so we are talking about what I refer to as the gifts of promotion. Now, I'm going to say again, I think I might have said this every lesson, uh, if not almost every lesson. The, the qualities of these gifts are not separated in Scripture the way that I separate them. They're not put into little categories that fit neatly. Uh, scripture just gives them in paragraph form, multiple verses, listing them out. And you see the lists at the top of your handout, 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, 1 Corinthians 12, 28, Romans 12, 6 through 8, and Ephesians 4, 11. Now, in those four texts, there are some gifts that are mentioned here, some that are mentioned there, uh, some that are mentioned in a couple of texts, some that are only mentioned in one text. And so the Bible does not tell us that the gifts of healing and tongues and miracles are the gifts of promotion. But that is the way I'm describing them because that is how I see them being used in Scripture. Now, you're welcome to disagree with me on the title that I give them, gifts of promotion. That really means little to me. It's more of just a way to categorize. But let's talk about what they actually are and how they're used. And I think that is way more important than the fact that I refer to them as the gifts of promotion. Now, why do I call them gifts of promotion? I believe when you see these gifts, they are used to promote the gospel, used to promote the kingdom of God. Even Jesus Christ, when he did miracles, I believe he had uh, uh, more than one reason. I think the miracles were because he had compassion. The Bible tells us he had compassion on the masses, and he fed them, and he healed them. He had compassion on those with leper leprosy, so he healed them. It wasn't purely a motivation of God wanted a chance for them to hear the gospel, therefore hear, hear, heal them so they'll hear him. Uh, I believe that he truly does love the world, and he does want to heal and to help for no other reason uh, alone than just to love them. But I do believe that what he benefited from when healing and helping was that people wanted to hear. Right, that's a natural tendency of human nature, right? If if you are helped greatly by someone, are you going to listen to them when they have something to say? Maybe not every time, but I think many times, yes. 
You are, you are more prone to hear them out when they have just done you a great service. And Christ, in his wisdom, helped and healed because he loved, but recognized that when he helped and healed, they would hear. And we see that throughout the Gospels in, in so many cases. Now we're going to look at the uh, book of Acts. Go ahead and turn there, please. Acts chapter 3. Let's talk about these gifts now. Acts chapter 3 and verses 6 through 7. Then Peter said, silver and gold have I none. Do you recognize that phrase? This is Peter as he is going into the temple with uh, John the Apostle, and they see a man who, verse 2, is lame, we're told, from his mother's womb. He didn't break his legs and couldn't find a doctor. The man was born lame. Been sitting in front of that uh, gate for some time at the temple, and uh, I would assume most of his life, that was how he survived. Peter, seeing him, with John, verse 4, Peter fastens his eyes upon him, and with John said, look on us. The man did not come to Peter and say, heal me. Now, do we see that happening in Scripture? Yeah. We see people coming to Christ. Uh, Lord, I know that you can. If you desire, will you heal me? I know that you're able. Will you heal me? I know if you want to, will you heal me? The lepers, Lord, you know, son of God, you're the man we've heard about. Will you heal us, right? So we see plenty of times the woman with the issue of blood, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. Many, many times people coming to Christ in faith, knowing, not guessing, knowing that Christ had the power to heal. Sometimes Christ said, because of your faith, I will heal you. Sometimes Christ did not mention faith at all. He just healed them. In fact, there was one occasion where a healing wasn't a an ailment, it was healing from demonic possession. And he cast the demons out, which, by the way, in my opinion, is a healing, right? That's not no small thing. Cast the demons out of an individual and stated, now, it's important that you essentially, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, repent, follow God. Otherwise, if you open up your life to more demonic possession, it'll be worse than what I just you know, cast out of you. So that, that individual with the demonic possession, they didn't come to Christ begging for the demons to come out. The demons basically begged that Christ wouldn't send them to hell or that you know, Christ wouldn't terrorize them. But that was the demons, not the man. So not every person came to Christ saying, will you heal me? And not every person that was healed was commended for their faith. Some were, some were not. But in this particular case, it's interesting that this man didn't even acknowledge Peter. Peter and John saw this man, and I believe in the form and fashion of Christ, The healing was offered because of love. I don't think Peter had some ulterior motive. If we heal this guy, he'll be a deacon at our church. Let's let's get ourselves a deacon today. I don't think Peter was looking for a new member. I mean, the church was growing by the thousands. Peter was not, I think, um, motivated by a need to to add someone else to the church and go back to the apostles and say, hey, we got a new member. Yep, here's my guy. Got my notch on my belt, right? Let's put it up on the board. I'm beating you guys by how many I brought in today. No, I think Peter loved like his Lord loved. So when I say gifts of promotion, I'm not saying that these gifts were used for the purpose of gaining members. I'm saying the way in which they were used promoted God's love. And naturally, what was the end result? People flocked to God when they saw his love, evidenced in practical, miraculous ways. God was promoted. The church was promoted when amazing things were accomplished through love. All right, so this man did not call out Peter. This man did not acknowledge Peter. We're told, verse 5, 
uh, I'm sorry, verse 4, fastening his eyes upon him. Peter looks at the man straight in the eyes and says, hey, what? Uh, look on us. The guy was probably looking down. You know, he's, he's in despair. Can you imagine the emotional depression this man must feel to not be able to care for himself? Has no family, can't even care for himself, let alone a family. This man is just living an existence with, without purpose, without joy. And so probably looking in the ground more than anything else. Peter says, no, look at me. I got something for you. He gave heed unto them, expecting something of them. What do you think the guy was expecting? Money. Exactly, expecting money. But Peter essentially says, I got something better for you than money. Today, you're not getting money. Today, you're getting what you really need. You're getting healing. Now, what he really needs is Christ. I get that. Peter can't save this man against his will. You know, so what Peter can give him is physical healing. He needs that more than money, right? And Peter says, that I can offer you. And that's where that famous phrase comes, verse 6, silver and gold have I none, but such as I give thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, Peter did not save this man. I'm not saying this man didn't get saved. I believe he did. We see in verse 9, all the people saw him walking and praising God. So it seems pretty clear to me this man recognized the healing was from God. That's a, not a far step from, from coming to God in repentance and faith, right? Uh, so I believe this man very likely got saved. But Peter was not saving this man. The Bible does in no way um, alludes to any idea or assumption that this man was saved and therefore healed because he was saved or healed through salvation. That's not mentioned at all. Peter didn't ask the man, are you a man of faith? He didn't say, do you know Jesus of Nazareth? He didn't say, do you have faith in Jesus of Nazareth? He said, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, you are healed. Now, the final key point I want to take from this passage, this man's faith, at least in this passage, again, I'm not denying in other passages Christ commended the faith of some and said, because of your faith, I will heal you. But that wasn't a prerequisite for healing. Christ just decided for sometimes he wouldn't. Sometimes he healed for other reasons. And I think, again, almost always love. But in this case, this man had no faith. This man did not ask in faith. This man was not commended for his faith. It was Peter who said, get up and walk in the name of Jesus. Who had the faith here? Peter had the faith. And yet, what disturbs me greatly is not that some claim that we serve a God of miracles. I believe the same thing. It is not that some claim we serve a God of miracles and that God uses us to perform those miracles. That's where I'd want to have a conversation with you. What does that mean? What do you you mean by God uses us? Because I do believe God uses his people, but I believe he uses the prayer of his people. Let's just say that we're talking with someone who says, no, no, like Peter, God uses me to heal people. Not, not through the prayer, not, not the James prayer of the healing uh, upon the sick and, and the fervent prayer of the righteous avails and, and brings about much. No, no, the Peter, the apostle kind of healing. God uses me to do that. Okay, let's talk then. When some people don't get healed, why not? What is their answer? They didn't have faith. 
They'll tell that to the person. They'll say, sorry, you didn't have enough faith. If you had enough faith, you would be healed. Well, wait a second. If your gift of healing is attached to Peter and the, and the miraculous healings and, and things that Peter did, the faith of the person being healed wasn't a necessity. So either you're not a healer like Peter, or you're not a healer at all, or you're something altogether different. I'm curious, what is that, and where in Scripture do we find it? So, as a pastor, I have prayed, studied, and thought on what I'm about to tell you this morning very, very much. I can tell you honestly, this is not me repeating what's been told me, because uh, uh, some years ago, many years ago, I decided I was done with that, just parroting what I was taught. I decided I wanted to search Scripture in all areas that I would preach, whether it affected me directly or not. I, I don't claim to be a faith healer. This doesn't affect me directly, so why would I preach it? Because it is an area that I'm going to teach, and I, can, I need to know what Scripture says, whether I claim to be one or not. I want to know what God's Word has to say about uh, marriage and divorce, whether it, it's something that affects me or not directly, because if I'm to teach it, I want to know what the Word of God says. I want to know what the Word of God says about tithing, which does, you might say, affect me indirectly as a leader of this church, but I don't want to just parrot what other pastors claim members to do. I want to look at the Word of God. And folks, I can tell you honestly, that is what I've done here. I am not just telling you what I read in a book. I'm not just telling you what was told me. We are going to be honest with Scripture this morning. Now, you have to decide, are you willing to do the same? Are you also willing to look at what Scripture says, or are you more prone to parrot what's been told you on one side or the other of this issue? All right. There are the miracles, the gifts of miracle. We're on uh, promotions number three, healings, tongues, interpretation of tongues. Those are the four we're going to discuss today. They're often grouped together because they're often uh, similar in their amazing abilities that you might say miraculous, obviously miracles being miraculous, but healings, tongues, interpretation of tongues, also very miraculous. Now, when it comes to miracles and healings, what is most often stated to me is what I've already said before, well, do you not believe God is a God of miracles? Most definitely. I have no problem believing that God heals. I've seen it. I've seen God heal people. I've seen people who the doctors have given up hope. They said, your time on this earth is almost done. Uh, the cancer is not exiting your body. I've seen that, and I've seen them go back, and the doctor said, I can't explain it. I don't know to tell you. The cancer is gone. There is no scientific explanation of what happened. There is no medical explanation of what happened. I mean, obviously, that's God, right? What I think people struggle with, Christians, what they struggle with is they want, they want all the world to see, without a doubt, this is God. You see, we like the idea that God is a healer. We like the idea that God does miracles. But we really like the idea of when Jesus Christ walked on the earth, spoke something, and a man got up, and it was like, see, there's, you can't deny that's God. Like, we want that. It's almost like, I believe God's a God of miracles, but it's not enough for him to do it, you know, behind the scenes. <laughs> I want God in the forefront doing it so everyone knows. It's not enough that God's the great healer, but I want, I want a word to be spoken and immediately someone to stand up so no one can deny that God is the great healer. Well, there's a problem with that. Even when Christ was doing that, people were still denying it. 
What did the Pharisees say? They didn't deny people got healed. They said, you're healing with the devil. <laughs> you're of the devil, doing the devil's work. All right, so even if God was still today using men and women to do amazing, miraculous things, that does not guarantee that everyone who saw it would automatically attach it to God. Right? So that idea that I believe God is a God of miracles and therefore would do them for everyone to see because everyone needs to know it's of God. Well, we've seen in the Gospels how that looks, and it doesn't always work out that way. I do believe God does miracles. I, be- I do believe God heals. The question is this. Does God do miracles and heal in the manner in which we see in the book of Acts and the Gospels? Is that how God heals today? We obviously recognize Scripture listing the gift of miracles and the gift of healing. So we cannot deny that there was at least a point in time where I believe there was a gift given to some to do what Peter did and to do a miracle and to bring about healing. We know that. We see it in the book of Acts here. We see it in other locations in the book of Acts. Now, this is not the only time where that something like that happens. And so we know that there was a time where that gift practically played out look exactly like you see here in Acts. But if that gift is still working today the same way it did in Acts chapter 3, then we cannot say you're, you're healed by your faith. That is the faith of the, of the one needing to be healed that will determine whether they get healed or not. We cannot say that because Scripture does not say that. Scripture does not require that. So right away that has to go. So when you throw out the, well, they're healed by their faith, then, here's the second thing, when ever in any part of Scripture do you ever see Peter or the Apostle Paul saying you are healed and the person wasn't healed? Can you show me one time in Scripture? It's not there. It's not in Scripture. Do you ever see the Apostle Peter saying rise up and walk and they don't? Oh, I can't do it. Do you ever see the Apostle Paul healing someone and say, oh, not going to happen, can't do it, I'm still hurting? No, not once. Which means, pretty plainly to me, if you got this gift, there is no like five out of ten times it works. There's no 80-20, you know, 20% 20 it works, 80% it doesn't, or flip it. It doesn't matter. If you've got this gift, then you can heal people, and you can do miracles, and and the faith of the person you're healing has no part to play in it. You say, well, Pastor Russ, what about the time when the apostles were trying to cast out demons and they didn't get cast out? That, that wasn't the, there was, there was no gift of demon casting out. As I, I did state earlier that, you know, I do believe, you know, uh, spiritual healing is a great healing. Christ was doing healing when he cast out the demons, but only in, in a metaphorical sense of that is a, an, an amazing thing. But anyone, anyone can cast out demons if they follow the recipe of Scripture. And what is that? Christ said through prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. Now, fasting implies the idea that you are calling on the power of God to cast out that demon, not your own. Prayer implies the idea that you recognize it is God and not you casting out the demon. Because we find a group of men who try to cast out demons, and it seems they try to do so in their own power, and they are stripped and cast out of the house and uh, berated and humiliated when they try to cast out demons in their own power. So casting out demons has nothing to do with the spiritual gift. Casting out demons is all God. 
and none of us. It is us calling on God to do what he does. So when the apostles could not cast out the demons, it was not because they lacked a gift. It was because they lacked the understanding of how demons are to be cast out. I get the impression that the, the, the apostles just say, get out, demons, get out, in the name of Christ, get out. But that wasn't how you do it. They need to spend time in the presence of God, calling on the power of God to heal the people of God. All right, so if the gift of miracles and healings is for today, then there would be no, it works sometimes and it doesn't work other times. If it was for today, then you cannot state they're not healed because of their lack of faith. We don't see that in Scripture. So do you know any miracle workers or faith healers who 100% always heal? Do you know any faith healers or miracle workers that state your faith has nothing to do with it, what's about to happen? God's given me a gift. I'm going to do this to help your faith, not because of your faith. I'm going to do this to show you you can have faith in God, not to show me if you do have faith in God. I don't know a lot of faith healers. I don't know any personally, but I don't know of a lot as far as study has gone. I have studied some. I have read of some. I have looked up individuals, and not one fits under the category of what I described. They all fall under the category of sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, and the faith of the person plays largely in the end results. What I have seen is a lot of people hurt from those kind of faith healers. Because when you have faith, when you trust implicitly that God can heal me, and there is no shadow of doubt in your heart or soul, and yet you're not healed, then you either believe your faith is a lie or God is so cruel that even he would not recognize how faithful you are. It, it's a lose-lose game. I've seen a lot of damage come from that. I knew a godly woman. She was dying. She was coming to the end of her life. She had cancer. And she got wrapped up in that. That idea of if you have enough faith, God will heal you of your cancer. And she believed it. Her husband started to believe it. And then she didn't get healed. It got worse. The cancer spread. They had more faith, if you could even do that. Faith on top of faith. It didn't work. Cancer spread. Got to a point, finally, where it was just no doubt she was going to die. The husband was so distraught because you know what was told him? The people that they had been looking to for help told them, well, the reason your wife's not getting healed is because she doesn't have enough faith. And the husband went from a man of strong faith, not to no faith, but to he lost a lot of faith. Because this man said, you don't know my wife like I He told me this story. I've talked to this man. This is years ago. He said, I told him, you don't know my wife. There is no woman that has more faith than my wife. No woman that loves God more than my wife. And this man's telling me that she's not healed because of the lack of her faith. He doesn't know what he's talking about. The problem was their faith was misplaced in a teaching that is not biblical. And whenever our faith is misplaced in corrupt teaching, we're kind of heading towards not only pain, but um, some serious spiritual, um, spiritual loss. 
our relationship with Christ, the way we see things, how we do things. Let's talk about James. Turn to the book of James for me, please. You can't really, in my opinion, have a conversation about healing and miracles without going to the book of James. So I'm going to explain to you what I believe happens, happened, and happens now. We're in James chapter 5. We'll get there in a second. If the Bible gives us the gift of miracles and healings, then why aren't they still available today? Well, did the Bible give us, give us the gift of apostles? Yes, he did. Are apostles for today? Well, it depends on who you talk to. Some believe they are. I went over the time of apostles. I described that to you. I'm not going to reteach that lesson. But it's pretty obvious to me, apostles were for a time, and when they died, that gift died with them. There were 12 apostles intended to be uh, gifted to the world, you might say, gifted to the church. There ended up being 13 because the, the church jumped the gun and added one before the apostle Paul was confirmed. So 12 or 13, depending on how you view Scripture, But we don't see the apostles after that ever ordaining another apostle. If anyone could have and should have, it would have been Paul ordaining Timothy to be an apostle. And yet never once is Timothy mentioned to be an apostle. So who are we to ordain apostles when the apostles didn't ordain apostles? Well, they did, Russ. You know, they ordained ordained that one. Yeah, they did. And a little bit of shady business on how they did it. But they at least had reasons. They said there's only 11 of us. There has to be 12. They actually came up with a number, 12. There has to be 12. They didn't have enough patience to wait for God to give the 12, so they chose the 12 themselves, and so there ended up being 13. But they didn't just say, hey, we're apostles. We have the right to assign another. They said we've got to have 12 to fulfill Scripture. So they had good intentions. And the prophecy they used in Psalms referred to replacement of Judas specifically and only, not a replacement of of all apostles every time they died. So if the apostles are proof that some gifts died and are no longer available, then if one is, two are possibly, three are possibly, four are potentially, five or six, if one can, more than one can. So there is biblical precedence for the idea that a gift of the Spirit is no longer available today, the apostles being an obvious one of them. I believe healings and miracles are included. Not because anywhere in Scripture is it stated that the time of healings and miracles is done. The Bible does not claim that. Some people try to take Scripture and twist it to, to claim something about tongues, and here's a Scripture that says tongues ends for today. I, I don't see that. I see what they see. I just don't think that they're right. I don't believe there's a clear passage of Scripture that tells us this gift ended at this time, you know, 50, 58 A.D. In 102 A.D., this gift ended. And with the Apostle John, the last gift of the Apostles ended. The Bible doesn't say those things. But I just see the Apostles, when they died, there were no more. So, obviously, I think we can assume pretty safely some gifts did end. Now, how can I assume safely that miracles and healings ended if the Bible doesn't really clarify? I'll tell you. Now, let's go to James and look at chapter 5, verse 14. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the uh, faith, uh, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. Now, this is interesting. Look at verse 15. Who's the one praying? The one being healed or the one doing the healing? The one doing the healing. 
And so the prayer of faith, is that attached to the one being healed or the one attached to the elders, the spiritual leaders, those in the church doing the healing? The, the leaders, yeah. So again, another instance where the faith of the one who needs to be healed has no part to play, not their faith at least. There is something they need to do. First of all, we are told they should go to the elders. That would be the spiritual leaders of the church. Second of all, verse 16, look at here, and confess your faults one to another. Uh, verse 15, if he hath committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Uh, I believe we, we see in verse 16 and 15 a, an idea of this person is repentant. This person recognizes they have issues. This person recognizes they've been living in sin. They recognize they've offended others. And if their illness is attached to some form of judgment on their life, that's what's going on here. Not that the prayer of the righteous is guaranteed to heal every illness. No, based off of the context, if they are sick, if they are dying, if there's a major, major physical impairment, attached to judgment on their life, then God says, go to the elders and ask for them to pray on your behalf that God's judgment would be lifted from you. And if you're repentant, the prayer of the faithful, fervent, righteous, spiritual leaders on your life, God said, I'll hear that prayer and I'll lift the judgment. Now I hope this opens your eyes to an amazing truth because how many times have you heard of or been part of a church, and I've been one of them, where someone's deathly ill, and so the spiritual leaders pour oil, and I have nothing against oil. Oil, oil for me is a, is a beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit, just like the Lord's Supper is a picture of Christ's death on the cross, and the baptism is a picture of our salvation. Don't be afraid of oil. There's nothing wrong with oil or the pouring of oil. It's a beautiful picture in both the Old and New Testament, so don't think that that's a bad thing to do. As long as you don't think the oil itself is blessed, right? That the, the oil has no uh, miraculous powers, just like water in the baptismal has no miraculous powers, just like the, the juice we drink have no miraculous powers. They're all pictures. God is a God of pictures. He loves giving us pictures, and I love that he loves that, that God wants to give us reminders, monuments, pictures, illustrations. And so the oil is a picture, monument, illustration, reminder of the Holy Spirit's power upon us. So I've been at a prayer meeting where the, the pastors, we had missionaries who were visiting. There was like four or five of us went to a woman's house. She was dying. She was young. She was in her late 20s and had a, a illness that uh, was going to take her life. This woman was a woman of faith, a godly woman. And she said, I don't know if there's any sin in my life. But I remember at that prayer meeting, she said, I will repent of any sin, unknown sin, that, that may be in my life. I, I want to be clean before God. There is no, there is nothing I'm doing openly that I'm aware of hurting God or anyone else. And each of us, pastors and missionaries, men, loved God. We were all lovers of God. <laughs> Poured oil on her head, prayed over her. She died two months later. I remember, I was a young man at that time. I was a youth pastor. I remember the husband, brokenhearted. He said, I don't understand. Not to me, I was in the meeting. He was talking with the pastor. He said, we, we did what James said, the book of James. We followed scripture. Why did my wife die? And you know what really struck me? The pastor didn't have an answer. As a young man, I thought, that's odd. 
I was kind of wondering myself. <laughs> As a young man, I was wondering. I was looking forward to his answer. He didn't have one. You know what happened to that young man? That husband? Ran from God for some time. I saw him many years later, and I believe um, it seemed, in the brief conversation I had with him, it seemed that he was making efforts to come back to God, but he had gone so far, I, I don't know. I, I talked to him one time since years and years ago, and I don't know where he's at today. And again, folks, when you don't understand Scripture and your misunderstanding of Scripture drives your theology and your philosophy and your practical Christianity and it doesn't work because it's a misunderstanding, you throw it all out the window and you run away. (laughs) So let me open up the truth of James to you. I've already kind of done that if you caught it. James is not promising that when spiritual leaders prey on the sick, they are guaranteed healing. James is stating if it's due to God's judgment and the spiritual leaders pray for forgiveness and healing on them, and the one who needs healing repents. Faith is not in it. Repentance is in it. God says then they'll be healed. So you know what's obvious to me now is, you know, many years later, I wish I knew now what I knew then. I might have been able to help the young guy, but I didn't. I was young myself. Obviously, that woman's illness was not attached to judgment. Obviously. Because if it was, I truly believe James. I believe the Bible. And I believe if it was attached to judgment, she would have been healed. God had a different plan for her. It was not a plan of judgment. God's eternal plan takes us down paths we don't understand, including death. Now, having said that, do I believe God heals people when it's not attached to judgment? Most definitely. But you know what's interesting? Nowhere in the New Testament does God promise that. Nowhere does God promise you will be healed if you have faith. Nowhere in God's word does it promise that the spiritual leaders like James will guarantee your healing unless it's here attached to judgment. Nowhere else is it promised. So, I also see that when this person is sick, if, and we're kind of using logic now, okay, and that's that's all I got left. Because, again, Scripture doesn't say hard and fast, Miracles ended here. Healings ended here. All I can look at is context of Scripture and use the wisdom and logic God has given me to put the pieces together. But i got to ask myself this question. If the gift of healing was still strong in the church, what are we doing in James chapter 5? What is this person who's sick doing going to the elders for prayer if there's faith healers in the church? I know where I'd be going, (laughs) right? I can only assume by this point in the church, at this time, God was moving the church from this idea of your guaranteed healing. If you go to a faith healer, your faith has nothing to do to it. Go to them, and they'll heal you. Because that obviously was happening at the beginning time of the church and during the time of Christ. Going from that to now, all right, church, now? Now it's prayer. And now pray. And if it's attached to judgment and you repent, God will take it. God will lift it. If it's not attached to judgment, you still pray. But there's no guarantee. I do believe, Scripture, the fervent prayer of a righteous man, verse 16. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's the end of verse 16. I still believe that. That that applies across the board. Although in this context, again, specifically to lifting judgment upon someone's life, the idea is still here. That the, the prayer of a righteous person is very effective. But it's not a guarantee. And my prayer for you doesn't guarantee your healing. And your prayer for me doesn't guarantee my healing, but it certainly can't help. Prayer is a powerful tool. 
but it's only a powerful tool because it's directed to a powerful God. You see, my prayer is not more powerful than your prayer because I'm a better person, <laughs> because, because I, yeah, I have a gift. No, my prayer would only be more powerful if my prayer is sincerely directed to God and in no way my pride or selfishness is blocking that prayer. The righteous man doesn't mean the better man. It, the, the word righteousness implies more of a pure man, that there's no impurity, there's no pride, there's, there's nothing keeping my prayer from getting to God. But there's a lot of men full of pride, and that pride's hindering their prayer. A lot of women full of selfishness and pride hindering their prayers. Right? So don't go to the person who has the gift of prayer. You really want someone's prayer to be effective? Here's what I would encourage you to do. Find the humble Christian in your church. Seek the humble. Seek the selfless and ask them to pray for you because i got to be honest with you. I wouldn't even bother personally asking someone who I know is prideful to pray for me. I wouldn't even waste the breath. Not trying to be mean. I just don't see it's going to be effective. <laughs> Hopefully some of you aren't asking, did Pastor Russ ever ask me to pray for you? <laughs> That's not, I, I got to be honest with you as well. I don't usually ask people to pray for me. I honestly just, I go to God myself. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. That's just my, this is what I am. Um, it's not that I wouldn't appreciate the, the prayer of people, but I, when there's issues in my life, folks, I just go directly to God and on my knees, and I found that that is usually <laughs> works for me. Uh, so don't don't ask yourself why I haven't asked you to pray for me. I'm just telling you, if I was, it wouldn't be someone that I felt was prideful. I appreciate that, man. That might be why I don't need to ask you to pray because you guys do so, anyways, right, Maddie? Okay. Well, I was hoping to get through tongues and the interpretation of tongues, but I've waxed eloquent too long, so <laughs> I'm going to be finished. So that means uh, we may not wrap it up next week. I hope we still can. We'll get to the gift of tongues, interpretation of it. If we can get to the spiritual gifts test, we will next week. If not, we'll take it the week after. But we'll be, we'll be wrapping up this series 